European Hearts Journal Issue at a Glance, Volume 38, Issue 23, Focus Issue on Prevention, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Thomas Lucia. Modern Prevention, Genetic Testing, Vascular Imaging, Machine Learning, and Drug Safety. Traditionally, prevention has been divided into primary and secondary prevention. While the former focuses on individuals considered healthy, the latter is designed to avoid future events in those who already have coronary artery disease, myocardial infarction, or stroke. However, this distinction is no longer useful as many asymptomatic individuals have atherosclerotic lesions such as plaques and calcifications when viewed with modern imaging, and not all subjects with suspected symptoms have atherosclerotic vascular disease. This focus issue on prevention addresses these important issues. In a first current opinion entitled Assessing Suspected Angina, Requiem for Coronary CT Angiography or Exercise ECG, Christian J. M. Vrintz and colleagues from the University Hospital Antwerp in Belgium discuss the 2013 ESC guidelines on stable coronary artery disease considering recently published randomized trials. Promise and Scott Hart examined if a strategy of initial anatomical testing with the use of coronary computed tomographic angiography instead of conventional functional testing could lead to improved outcome in patients with suspected stable angina pectoris with somewhat differing results. The authors address what the neutral results of PROMISE and the more positive ones of Scott Hart mean for the practicing cardiologist. Based on the entire evidence, they conclude that currently there is no convincing evidence from prospective randomized trials showing that patients with chest discomfort and with a low to intermediate risk for suspected stable coronary artery disease, an initial anatomical assessment results in an improved outcome in the long term. Both in subjects with or without any symptoms, risk prediction remains important in clinical practice and research. Traditionally, most risk models have been based on regression models. In a clinical review entitled Moving Beyond Regression Techniques in Cardiovascular Risk Prediction, Applying Machine Learning to Address Analytic Challenges, Benjamin A. Goldstein and colleagues from Duke University in Durham, North Carolina, USA, note that while useful and robust, these statistical models are limited to using a small number of predictors which operate in the same way on everyone and uniformly throughout their range. They illustrate the use of machine learning risk prediction models, typically presented as black box approaches most machine learning methods are aimed at solving challenges that arise in data analysis that are not well addressed by typical regression approaches. To illustrate these challenges, as well as how different methods can address them, they considered trying to predict mortality after diagnosis of acute myocardial infarction. To that end, they used data derived from our institution's electronic health record and abstract data on 13 regularly measured laboratory markers. They walk through different challenges that arise in modeling these data and then introduce different machine learning approaches. 
Finally, they discuss general issues in the application of machine learning, including tuning parameters, loss functions, variable importance, and missing data. Overall, this review serves as an introduction for those working on risk modeling to approach the diffuse field of machine learning. Beyond classical risk factors, such as hypertension, hyperlipidemia, or diabetes, vascular calcifications that are easily detected by coronary-computed tomographic angiography are predictors of cardiovascular mortality. In another Current Opinion article entitled Phosphate, Pyrophosphate, and Vascular Calcification, a Question of Balance, Ricardo Villa-Beosta and colleagues from the Instituto de Investigación Sanitaria Fundación Jiménez Díaz in Madrid, Spain, remind us that different mechanisms of the pathogenesis of vascular calcification have been proposed. However, in recent years, some risk factors are emerging, including elevated serum phosphate and defective synthesis of pyrophosphate. Different factors play an important role in the control of serum phosphate homeostasis, including serum phosphate excretion and absorption by the kidneys, intestines, and bone. Dysregulation of serum phosphate homeostasis can induce an elevation in serum phosphate, which has been correlated with the presence of calcified vessels due to an increase in the formation of calcium phosphate crystals. Extracellular fluids are oversaturated with phosphate and calcium, resulting in a tendency for spontaneous calcium phosphate crystal formation. To prevent the deposition of calcium phosphate crystals, the body synthesizes inhibitors of calcification, including proteins and inhibitors of low molecular weight. Extracellular pyrophosphate is a potent inhibitor of vascular calcification, which is produced during extracellular hydrolysis of ATP. Loss of function in the enzymes and transporters that are involved in the cycle of extracellular ATP leads to excessive deposition of calcium phosphate crystals. The balance between serum phosphate and pyrophosphate plays an undisputed role in vascular calcification, Therefore, future studies should focus on the understanding of phosphate and pyrophosphate homeostasis for predicting and designing therapeutic strategies such as phosphate binders to prevent hyperphosphatemia or exogenous pyrophosphate injection to increase its plasma levels. Besides coronary computed tomography, Carotid ultrasound and blood pressure measurement at the arm and ankle have been used as anatomical predictors of cardiovascular risk. In their research article, Comparison of Coronary Artery Calcification, Carotid Intima Media Thickness, and Ankle Brachial Index for Predicting 10-Year Incident Cardiovascular Events in the General Population, Marie Henrika Geisel and colleagues from the University of Duisburg-Essen in Germany further dwell on this issue. They compared the predictive value of coronary artery calcification, carotid intima media thickness, and ankle brachial index in 3,108 patients without cardiovascular disease of the population-based Heinz-Nixdorf recall study over 10 years. All three markers were associated with cardiovascular events in Framingham risk score-adjusted models. 
Reclassification of coronary artery calcification lead to highest reclassification in the total cohort, while also for intima media thickness and ankle brachial index, significant improvement in net classification was observed. Geisel and colleagues conclude that coronary artery calcification provides the best discrimination of risk compared to carotid intima media thickness and ankle brachial index, particularly in the intermediate risk group, whereas carotid intima media thickness may be an alternative measure for reassurance in the low-risk group. When lipid profiles are assessed in patients, typically total LDL and HDL cholesterol, as well as triglycerides, are measured. However, other lipoproteins, such as lipoprotein A, represent a major, so far neglected, cardiovascular risk factor and are almost entirely controlled by one single locus, i.e. LPA. However, many genetic factors in LPA governing the enormous variance of lipoprotein A levels are still unknown. In a fast-track manuscript entitled A Novel but Frequent Variant in LPA KIV2 is associated with a pronounced LPA and cardiovascular risk reduction. Florian Cronenberg and colleagues from the Medical University of Innsbruck in Austria noted that since up to 70% of the LPA coding sequence is located in a difficult-to-access hypervariable copy number variation named KIV2, it may contain novel functional variants with pronounced effects on lipoprotein A concentrations. In a large-scale mutation analysis of KIV2 using an extreme phenotype approach, they compiled a discovery set of 123 samples showing discordance between LPA isoform phenotype and lipoprotein A concentrations and controls. Using ultra-deep sequencing, they identified a splice site variant in preferential association with the smaller LPA isoforms. Follow-up in a European general population of 2,892 individuals revealed an exceptionally high carrier frequency of 22% in the general population. The variant explains 21% of the lipoprotein A variants in carriers of low molecular weight LPA isoforms, and the reduction of lipoprotein A concentrations is up to 31.3 mg per deciliter. Positive carrier status reduces increased genetic cardiovascular disease risk of low molecular weight carriers. Functional studies point towards a reduction of splicing efficiency by this novel variant. The authors conclude that a highly frequent but until now undetected variant in KIV2 strongly affects lipoprotein A concentrations and abolishes cardiovascular risk in low molecular weight individuals. This confirms the pivotal role of lipoprotein A concentrations rather than isoform for cardiovascular risk assessment and supports the concept of beneficial effects of lipoprotein A lowering as can now be achieved by PCSK9 inhibitors. Besides lipoprotein A and mutations in PCSK9, familial hypercholesterolemia due to LDL receptor mutations is a vastly underdiagnosed genetic disorder associated with early onset of coronary heart disease and premature mortality, 
which can be substantially reduced by effective treatment. Patents have recently expired on high-intensity statins, reducing familial hypercholesterolemia treatment costs. In a clinical research paper entitled Cost-Effectiveness of Cascade Testing for Familial Hypercholesterolemia Based on Data from FH Services in the UK, Marion Kerr and colleagues from Insight Health Economics Limited in Richmond, UK, built a model using UK data to estimate the cost-effectiveness of DNA testing of relatives of those with monogenic familial hypercholesterolemia. A Markov model was used to estimate the cost-effectiveness of cascade testing using data from UK cascade services. The estimated incremental cost-effectiveness ratio was £5,806, and the net marginal lifetime cost per relative tested was £2,781. More than 80% of lifetime costs were diagnosis-related and incurred in the first year. In UK services, 23% of 6,396 index cases were mutation-positive. For each mutation-positive index case, 1.33 relatives were tested, resulting overall in a rate of 0.31 tested relatives per tested index case. If the number of relatives tested per tested index case rose to 3.2, the incremental cost-effectiveness ratio would reduce to £2,280 and lifetime costs to £1,092. The authors conclude that cascade testing of relatives of those with suspected familial hypercholesterolemia is highly cost-effective. Considering the current Europe-wide high levels of undiagnosed familial hypercholesterolemia and the associated morbidity and mortality, mean adoption of cascade services should yield substantial quality of life and survival gains. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Robert Stokenbroek and colleagues from the Academic Medical Centre in Amsterdam in the Netherlands. Selective cyclooxygenase 2 inhibitors and conventional non-selective non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, the so-called NSAIDs, have been associated with adverse cardiovascular effects. This issue concludes with a research article entitled Randomized Trial of Switching from Prescribed Non-Selective Non-Steroidal Anti-Inflammatory Drugs to Prescribed Celecoxib, the Standard Care versus Celecoxib Outcome Trial, Scott, by Thomas M. MacDonald and colleagues from the University of Dundee in the UK. The authors compared the cardiovascular safety and switching to celecoxib versus continuing NSAID therapy. 7,297 patients aged 60 years or older with osteoarthritis or rheumatoid arthritis, free from established cardiovascular disease and taking NSAIDs chronically, were randomized to switch to celecoxib or to continue with their NSAID. During a three years follow-up, fewer subjects than expected developed an on-treatment primary cardiovascular event and the rate was similar for celecoxib and NSAIDs. As such, pre-specified non-inferiority was achieved in the intention-to-treat analysis. However, more serious gastrointestinal and hematological adverse events were reported on NSAIDs than on celecoxib, 
but more patients withdrew from celecoxib than NSAIDs. The authors conclude that in subjects 60 years or older, free from cardiovascular disease and chronically taking NSAIDs, cardiovascular events were infrequent and similar on celecoxib and NSAIDs. Thus, there was no advantage of a strategy of switching prescribed NSAIDs to prescribed celecoxib. The present study is at odds with the recently published PRECISION trial, which found an advantage of celecoxib, particularly in the on-treatment analysis, a fact which, among others, is discussed in an editorial by Debra Mukherjee from Texas Tech University in El Paso, Texas, USA. The editors hope that this issue of the European Hearts Journal will find the interest of its readers.